Good morning, church family. What a privilege it is to be with you all today. Uh, my name is Stephanie Hill, and my family and I are covenant partners here at the church. This morning, we continue to celebrate the amazing love of God through life of Jesus. Our passage invites us to know the love of God through experiencing the mission of Jesus as it commissions us to show the love of God to the world. God's love fills God's people and sends us to show his love to a world longing for real life. Hear the word of God. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 30, or look up on the screens as I read the passage aloud. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as, he was, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is an acceptable in his hometown. But in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the day of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elijah, and none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that, he could, they, that, so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away." All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. Grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Stephanie. Good morning, everybody. Let's go ahead and just state the obvious. All right. I sound like a middle schooler who's nervous. All right. That's okay. If my voice cracks up, there you go. <clears throat> my voice cracks. The reason is, is I left it um, on the men's retreat in the hill country, uh, and I just haven't had time to go back and get it. So I'm gonna go back and get my voice, uh, and I just it just left when I, I 
my voice disappeared when I left. Uh, it, we had an amazing men's retreat, and I don't know if Cody uh, is in here, and I don't know if J. Cole and our team, Bobby and everybody that's in there, but it was phenomenal. I hear see some, some pointing back there, but to see uh, members of our congregation just stand up and lead in that way is, is beautiful. And uh, Bobby and Julie, uh, for you all to be up here, we're very grateful uh, for your sacrifice and your leadership uh, when it comes to um, serving down in the KRL and various roles. Uh, it's just amazing to be a part of a family where people own it to such an extent that they seek to discover the way God has gifted them uh, and to develop those gifts and then to deploy them on behalf of the benefit of the church uh, and then through the church uh, to bless our neighbors and the neighborhood where God's put us. Uh, it's a great picture of what we're going to talk about today. Uh, the amazing love of God seen in the mission of Jesus. I'm going to confess to you, I've got half the voice I've normally got and twice as many notes as I should have. And uh, yeah, I'm glad you're laughing now because later you're going to be like, tap out, tap out. Just kidding. But what we want to do is we, let's go to the Lord together in prayer uh, and just ask for his blessing on this study of his word, will you? Let's pray. Lord, we're humbled that you love us. And I pray that you'd open our hearts to receive that love so that you can fill our hearts to show that love. Lord, remove the obstacles, including the barrier that is the one who speaks this morning. And we ask that you would open the floodgates of our souls. And Lord, everything we've been longing for and looking for, would you show up? Holy Spirit, would you please help us to fall more in love with Jesus? And it's his name we pray. Amen. So the amazing love of God is the theme as we study the book of Luke. And we've seen this powerful ways that God has loved us. Our first look at this a couple weeks ago was that he's revealed his word to us. That God wants to have a relationship to such an extent that he actually reveals his word to us, his people, for relationship. Last week, we saw the unbelievable, amazing love of God in the fact that he came to dwell among us. Jesus was fully human, but he was also fully God. And the incarnation celebrated a new quality of humanity. And I was in the traditional service, but uh, we have to understand the paradigm we began uh, last week. And I don't know if Bob talked about it in here so that we can fully understand the opportunity we have this week. When Jesus came as a human, uh, God, the second person of the Trinity, he didn't come in a new quantity of life. He didn't come as just a better teacher a higher quantity of humility so he could serve. He didn't come as a better religious guy, uh, as if to have a relationship with God, what it means is just to have a checkbox where we actually do more things so that we can get closer to God. He was that, but he was more than that. Jesus was actually a different quality of person, not quantity. Jesus himself embodies the goodness that our hearts hunger for. He's totally good. Jesus is the justice in his character. He, his, his quality of humanity is justice. All the justice that we seek, he embodies. Jesus is the truth that we need to stand on and we want to stand on as a culture. He's a whole quality of person. He is the truth. He's the love that our hearts are looking for. He isn't just to have a higher quantity of love. Oh, wow, he loves people that aren't like him. So we've got to do it. No, no, no. He is a totally different quality of human. 
He is the embodiment of love. And that's significant to understand the incarnation because Jesus came as our mediator. He, though he was a quality different than us, he was fully God, he took our sin. He became sin and died on the cross so that those of us who need to be a new quality of person, what Paul calls a new creation, so that we could be born again, right? Does that make sense? And so to understand this new quality, the Greek term in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 is kinekatesis, this new quality of life. We have to get that so we can fully understand God's mission. Because the mission of Jesus, it isn't about us just going out there and doing more or, or adding something to our do, to-do list. It's about receiving the grace of God, his mediatory blessing that makes us a new creation. And then from that, living that out so that all the world can be redeemed and restored. The way that Paul calls it when he talks about a new creation in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, he ends up by saying, you are Christ's ambassadors. You are sent to the world to say, be reconciled to God. So this category is really important. Now, here's another thing you, we have to understand. So when oftentimes when we come to church, we, we come focused on ourselves, right? We hear the word of God, and instead of celebrating, God, you are faithful, we have a tendency to focus on our own unfaithfulness. And rather than saying, wow, God, you are loving, we, we have this tendency to focus on our own shortcomings. And rather than looking at God and saying, you are a God of abundance. I mean, you are full of life. We have a tendency to focus on our own limitations. And so it's essential that the gospel grabs our hearts and opens them up in a way that fills us with his love, his goodness, his truth, that truly cultivates this new creation reality so that we are filled ones who are sent ones. Now, this is the, the legacy of the church. I left my copy of this book I want to refer to uh, in my office, so forgive me. Um, but it's Rodney Stark's book called The Rise of Christianity. And from the beginning, the Christian church has lived this new quality of life that has been an invitation. The book's basic question is this. How is it that a pagan Roman empire was taken over by this marginalized group of people called Christians. I mean, what, what did they do? Did they have some strategic plan to take over politics so that after 300 and something years that the emperor would come to Christ? Is that what they did? No. They were radically filled with love. And they radically showed love to the world. And, and here's, here's how he breaks it down. It's worth reading. Truth. They loved in truth. Look, the, the world, the Roman Empire was crumbling. There was a lot of disease and suffering. And the Christians were the only ones that had a worldview that comprehensively not only helped people understand it, but really have hope to endure it. They loved in restoring dignity. The Christian, early Christian church had roles for women. And women did not have roles of any sort of influence in the society. Uh, they, they, they love through suffering and service. And he has account after account of plagues that came. And it was the Christians who stayed. 
It was the Christians who served. It was the Christians who cared, even at the risk of their own life. This is just who we are. And he even has a section in there about how the early church advocated for life so much that they did it in a prohibitive and a positive way. The positive way was that they took care of children that didn't have families, so much so that it was not uncommon for unwanted children to be placed on trash heaps. And the early church would take them in and care for them. Positive care for life. The prohibitive care was, it was just normal that abortion was off limits. And this is Rodney Stark's category, talking about the early church, early pre-Constantine. It was a normal standard that they had. But the last way that he highlights that they really loved was that they gave their lives away. He has some tremendous stuff on martyrs. That's something for the Western church that is a little distant for us, uh, but it's really powerful. So these two categories are really important as we, as we unpack the mission of Jesus for us uh, and understanding really how he's loved us uh, and how he's called us to love uh, the world. The first thing that we see when we look at this passage is that the mission of Jesus is directed by the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus comes into his hometown. He clearly has a, 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 an unadvantage. It's not a hometown advantage that he has at all. He ends up at the end of the passage. They're trying to throw him off a cliff. But the beginning, he comes in and he, he's, he just goes to the temple, as was his custom, and he opens the roll of Isaiah and he starts to read it. And it's no accident that if you look at verse 18, it says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Now, we talked about Jesus being uh, coordinated and confirmed not only as the son of God by the Holy Spirit coming down in his baptism, but the chosen one of God to be the king of Israel. And from that, in 322, Luke uses the Holy Spirit to mark significant transitions. It was the spirit of God that led Jesus into the wilderness, chapter four, verse one. And then it was the spirit of God after that, that led Jesus to begin to proclaim his ministry. I believe, I don't want to say it wrong. Uh, that's 414. And so here it's the spirit of God when he begins to read the scroll of Isaiah that is upon me. Now, the, the role of the Holy Spirit in ministry, uh, the mission of Jesus being directed by the Spirit of God himself is, is something that has profound implications. Because very often, Christians want to do good things, but when we don't do it in the name of Jesus and filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, that good thing, can act, uh, good desire can actually be very just neutered of any power at all. Um, now, the Spirit of God is something that's a gift to all children of God. Uh, Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 15, that it's the Spirit of God that seals our adoption. And he goes on in Galatians 4, 4, he, he says, it's the Spirit by which we cry, Abba, Father. So all who put their faith in God for salvation receive the Spirit of God in our life. And this spirit, uh, we know that when it fills us and forms us in Galatians chapter 5, verses 21 and 22, this spirit gives us fruit in our life. It's the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and who knows it? Self-control, like five of y'all. That's good. That's all right. Unless you've already fallen asleep with my uh, middle school voice. It's okay. But oftentimes, to see Luke's priority of, of Jesus' 
following the Spirit, the Spirit-led ministry, it's profound implications for us. Because if you're a Christian in here today, if you belong to God, then you're a child of God. And the Spirit of God is something that, that should be what we're dependent upon and what comes out. But oftentimes when we talk about or celebrate the sanctity of human life, it's more fleshy. There's more anger and rage. Uh, when, we, when we talk about loving our neighbors or welcoming people who aren't from America or aren't from our country or sitting with people that are of a different socioeconomic status or how to steward the resources of our country or our city or even our own family. Sometimes those discourses are marked more with anger and hate and fruit of the flesh. And so for Jesus to, to come and direct, uh, be directed by the Spirit in his direction of God's mission is something that we need to take note of. And you need to ask yourself, first of all, have you been born of the Spirit? Have you put saving faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and had his spirit come live inside of you? If so, then are you marked more by the fruit of the spirit or the fruit of the flesh? If you want a more full list of that, you can go look at Galatians 5. Um, it's worth your read. It'll take you 30 seconds to read later today. But for now, we need to go forward because the spirit of the mission of Jesus is not just directed by God's spirit. It also uh, reveals God's love. Now, quickly, as we look at the substance of what Jesus read, he, he, he had a, uh, a combination of verses that he read. Uh, he quoted Isaiah 61 verses 1 to 2. And he also has an allusion to Isaiah 58, verse 6. That's the, the fast that God chooses for his people. And there's a lot to unpack here. The messianic expectations, the implications. Uh, we talked about this in our Sunday school class, Deepin, and I told him, I was like, you just saved everybody that comes to worship like 25 minutes of my sermon because I had to talk about that. And we just can't get to it here. But what we can see in this passage is the focus of the love of God in this world. Look at the passage. Look, look, look at the focus of his mission. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, says Jesus. He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, to recover sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is the reason Jesus was sent. Ultimately, it's fulfilled on the cross, but practically it's fulfilled in God's mission through Jesus himself and then through his people. Can I ask for permission, something real, real quick? Will you allow me to get a little nerdy with the Bible? Is that okay? I mean, I feel like awkward already, but if I'm going to start nerding out on scripture, like that's just going to put me in a whole category. You're going to throw things at me or something. Okay. All right. So I want to get nerdy because it's really cool what Jesus does. And then we're going to land the plane practically, all right? So Jesus, Luke, when he's, when he's portraying the ministry of Jesus, this is the, the trajectory, the, the way that the mission of God is going. It's for the poor. It's for the captive. It's for the blind. It's, it's for those who are longing for freedom, that are looking for love and hope and security. And he, he ultimately fulfills this on the cross, but practically fulfills it in his ministry. And if you read Luke... There's two inclusios that are really fun. 
And that's basically like bookends, okay? So right here in Luke 4, Jesus gives the, uh, the epicenter of the launch of the mission of God through him. And if you go to Luke 7, 22 and 23, it's really amazing. Uh, you'll remember when John the Baptist was in prison, and he's like, dude, I'm in prison. I thought I was like the last prophet and like preferred by you. I thought I was doing good things, but I'm in prison now. And he says, uh, i got to send some people to ask Jesus, like, are you really the Messiah? And when they go, they're like, hey, uh, Jesus, you know, John sent us, he's in prison and he's been doing good things, but he's still there. And it just makes us wonder, like, are you really who you say you are? Are you really the Messiah? And Jesus uses this segment. He goes, man, go back and tell John what you've seen. Go tell him that you've seen dead people rise. Go tell him you've seen lame people walk. Go tell him you've seen prisoners set free. Go tell him that the blind have received sight. And what Luke does is he shows us that Jesus has fulfilled it practically. It's who God is. And then we follow Jesus to the cross in Luke 9, 5, uh, Luke 9, 52. It says he set his face towards Jerusalem, and there's this new trajectory of his mission. And it takes him right to the cross where he dies in the place of, he becomes captive so that people who are in bondage can be free, right? He takes on sin so that people who deserve judgment can, cannot be condemned. He actually was mocked. And abused so that those who are abused and bullied in this life can have hope. He actually was killed so that those of us who are dead in our trespasses and sin or overwhelmed and discouraged by the death that seems to hem us in everywhere, that we can have hope. He rose from the grave and, and it takes us to the cross. And then here's what's crazy. If you follow all of Luke's writing, not only does he show Jesus fulfilled this mission, in his explanation that he gave to John the Baptist's disciples, and then he fulfilled it and gives us concrete hope in the cross. He wrote two volumes, Luke and Acts. And at the end of Acts, the same people uh, that, that are changed that believe in God, they follow Jesus Christ, they believe that Jesus fulfilled the mission of God, just as Jesus was filled with his spirit in his baptism, so they receive his spirit in Acts 2. And what do they do as the early church? They free captives. They give sight to the blind. Even dead people rise. They are fulfilling this, and it goes forward unhindered. The last part of the book of Acts, the last verse of the book of Acts, talks about the kingdom of Jesus that will go forward, get this, unhindered, without hindrance. Who wrote that? Luke. Where was Paul when he wrote it? In prison, in chains. So that no matter what our circumstances are, Luke is letting us know not only are the people of God filled with the love of God, receiving the mission of God, knowing the light of God, freed by the grace of God, they are sent out to do the work of God, to serve in the name of God, to be a light in a dark place, to bring sight to blind people, to bring life in dead places, and to participate in God's work of reordering all that sin has disordered through the cross so that life can be redeemed and reordered and renewed for the glory of God everywhere, everything, everyone. And no matter what your circumstances are, whether you're in prison or you're living in poverty or you have more questions than answers, God's mission is going forward. And if you raise your hand and open your hearts, he's going to use you. Get it? Amen. Yeah. No, hold on. I'm telling you, this is real powerful stuff. 
And Bob and I uh, wrestled with the grammar of this sentence, so I'm just going to read it. God's love and spirit fill and transform people. God's spirit filled people fill and transform the world with the love of Jesus. There can't be a better case study of this than Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. It just can't be. And here's what we know and acknowledge. That God himself claims to be the author of life, every life. So much so that in Psalm 139, he says that he knit everyone, knit humanity, knit people together in the womb of their mother. God creates life. And so for God's people to stand and celebrate life in every way possible, we, we, are, we have to understand not only that God has created it, but he's loved us and given us new life so that with all he's entrusted to us, we can go forward and advocate for life and support life and celebrate life in every way possible. Even as you heard in the really powerful testimony in the video, I mean, wow. Even through our suffering, our struggles, and our decisions. Now, it's such a contentious issue. I am very, I just, I'll just say this. I lament. I'm sad that the issue of life has been hijacked by politics. I'm so sad that most people, when they think of God's issue, I mean, Jesus' issue is life. And most people think about political stuff when they hear it. That's just garbage, man. I gotta stop there, or I'm gonna say some things. I mean, I'm mad at that. And, you know, the world feeds it. The last election, you can go online and see this, Planned Parenthood spent $250 million, a quarter of a billion dollars, just to get officials elected or policies passed that were, quote, pro-choice. And we look at that and we say, well, that's pretty in- intense. And, and I, I don't, it just seems real. I don't, I don't, I mean, I don't know what I can do about it. Now, let me say this. It is a political issue, but not primarily. Some of you might be called to engage it politically. You may not know this. You do know. You've heard Dr. Scott talk up here. Like she's a um, an expert witness trained that that speaks in you know, con- congressional sessions on this stuff. We have a member of our church. You may not know this. Um, who, when the heartbeat bill was being litigated, um, two of our um, congregation members were on the primary team for that. Most of us aren't called to it on that level. But all of us are called to do something. Unfortunately, um, most, most Christians just seem to fall into the cultural paradigm and just be like NPCs. Is that the right word? Uh, yeah, like non-player characters in a game. And all we do, it's like, oh, well, here's what everybody's saying, and this is the loudest voice, so I've got to do this. It's like, no, 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 step back and look at the issue of life. Now, I want you to look at this picture. It's up here. Now, from what, today's the day um, that most of the world is, most of our country is talking about. It's 50 days since Roe v. Wade uh, was passed. 
And if you look at this as primary judicial fight or primarily uh, a a legislative fight, it is that, but it's not primarily that, then that's what this day is going to be about. But I want to take you further back. This picture is um, at the basement of our church where the KRL is now. And 100 years ago, our congregation, when when the uh, when the roaring 20s were started and then the Great Depression came, um, we opened our facilities for children and families uh, to come get help. And this is from the 20s. A guy named P.B. Hill was a pastor then, and the, just an army of volunteers were helping. Um, some phenomenal stuff. So we go back deeper in our heritage, but even further back than that. I mean, you heard me mention the Rodney Stark book. That was, I mean, centuries ago, the church said it's unacceptable for children to not have homes. It's unacceptable for people to be suffering and destitute. Life matters so much that we're going to sit with people who have the plague and try to bring them healing and hope, or we're going to sell, or we're going to pick up uh, uh, and save kids that have been thrown on refuge tracks. That's who we are as a people. So we go further back than just that, that 20 years of the early church. And what we do is we join the church triumphant. Like there's strength in numbers, people, from all time and throughout history and around the world. And we say, because God has loved us in this way and given us new life in Christ, he's commissioned us on his mission that we want to celebrate and stand for the sanctity of human life in all of life. And so as spirit-filled people, We seek abundant life to support life, to strengthen ministries, to fight for life, and to support those who are providing holistic care for life. We want to do it in everything. Now, last week, major headlines were all over about this issue because uh, women's clinics around the country started handing out the abortion pill free, as if the abortion pill is just the latest form of birth control. Now, friends, just let me say this plainly. The abortion pill kills a baby, stops a heartbeat, and it's harmful for the woman. And if you look at it in a strategic way, it's overwhelming. There's no way we can fight a quarter of a billion dollar um, uh, campaign just to get people elected and then free pills. I mean, what, what can we do? Well, we need to get more strategic for sure. We're very excited that we're going to put wheels down on a mobile clinic, taking our KRL stuff to the road uh, this year with any woman can. Hopefully the wheels will be down in October. Strategy is important. You see banners up. You see, oh, we, we can get free testing. We get free counseling. I mean, we're, we just want to love we want to support, care. We give free social workers for people that, 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 that uh, need jobs and uh, they need housing and they want to get from addiction to recovery. I mean, you name it. We want to do everything we can, but strategy is not enough. You know what we do have? We have something that really is free. It's the grace of Jesus. It's the love of God that comes to us. And We have to be, now this might be controversial, but we need to be a pro-choice people. You might not have ever thought you'd hear me say that today. I want us to be a pro-choice congregation. I want you to be free to choose 
to share God's love. Don't believe the world that says that you're not free to do that. I want you to be free to share the grace of God, no matter what anyone's done. I want you to be free to choose to talk about the love of God. I want you to be free to choose to share the grace of God. I want you to be free to choose life in everything, free to support people choosing life. I want you to be free to know the God of abundant life who is pleased to send his love to a people so that he could send them out to show his love to the world. I want you to be free to choose. Don't be held in bondage and in captives by by the lies of our culture. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. And we have an opportunity right now to show love in ways uh, that we haven't had before. And if the fruit of the Spirit is not coming out of us, bubbling out of us, then we are... uh, we're in for trouble. We're not on God's mission. We have to allow the spirit of God to fill us that the fruit of God would flow out of us. Uh, Callan, y'all can come on up here um, as I land the plane. The last point, we're not gonna have time to unpack. Um, but the last point is this, the, the, the mission of Jesus, it will encounter resistance. It will. Imagine a world where someone could come as the full new quality of love, just a totally love note, that someone is the picture of goodness and the picture of true life, what everybody's longing for. Imagine a world where the embodiment of justice is walking, and in that world, they are shunned and sent away. You don't have to imagine that too uh, hard because that's exactly what happened in this passage. They tried to kill him. And eventually, guess what? They did kill him. They took Jesus and they nailed him to the cross. And Jesus says to his disciples before he leaves, hey, if they persecute me, they're gonna persecute you. And so it's time for us to number ourselves with the early church where we were so, they were so captivated by the love of God, so filled with the forgiveness of God, walking so firmly on the grace of God that they counted it a joy to experience persecution for God. Because there is something greater in this than this world that we're living for and that Christ gives us access to. And it's this hope that we must profess, this love that comes out of our lips, our lives, and all of our labor. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, whatever was not from you, would you strike from memory? It would be quickly forgotten. Whatever spirit led and empowered words from your word, Lord, that you intend to form and shape us, would you give us fertile hearts? Would you help us to make sure we nurture that seed so that it could bear fruit and a harvest of righteousness. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the saving grace that we have in Jesus. And we look to you as the one who is faithful. We look to you who's the one that's all loving. We look to you as the one that has abundant grace. And we pray, we're just humbled that you chose, you freely chose us. 
Help us to choose to follow you, to choose to stand for you and a chance to stand for life. This is your turf, Jesus. Make your name great here and now. In your name, amen.